The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in to Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. I'm Cheryl White, and I bring you greetings from the Neighborhood House Association in San Diego, California, where Rudolph Johnson III is President and CEO, and Judith Weaker is our Board Chair. Our mission is developing children, families, and future leaders in our community through empowerment, education, and wellness. And we hope this episode of Leadership Matters offers value-added and thought-provoking ideals for advancing emerging and current leaders. I am excited today to have our president and CEO, Mr. Rudolph Johnson, online today to help us um, with our topic of um, really building and having some information to put forth for an economic business case for funding nonprofits. Mr. Johnson, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Dr. White. Thanks for having me. Yes, it's my pleasure. Also on the line, I am delighted to have Mr. Gerald McFadden, President and CEO of Volunteers of America Southwest, based here in San Diego, California. Mr. McFadden, thank you also for joining us. Thank you, Dr. White, for uh, the invitation and the opportunity to be a part of this thought-provoking topic today. Great. Well, before we jump right into the economic business case for funding nonprofits, I'd like to step back and, uh, Mr. Johnson, Rudy, we'd like to ask you to maybe share a little bit about yourself and the organization, and then, Gerald, we'll turn it over to you and ask you to do the same. Well, thank you, Cheryl. Uh, uh, this is my 11th year as president CEO, and it's been a wonderful um, 11 years uh, at the helm. Uh, I come by way of the San Diego Convention Center where I served as the general manager. Uh, prior to that, I built the first expansion of the San Diego Convention Center, something that uh, we were very, very proud of, not just as a team, but here in San Diego in general. Um, I'm a civil engineer by trade with a master's in public administration, and um, I look forward to engaging in a fruitful discussion uh, today. Great. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. And then, Gerald, how about yourself? Well, I am uh, possessing the, the good fortune of being the, the President and CEO of Volunteers of America, a position which I have held for uh, approximately 33 years, uh, but in three different capacities in geographic uh, regions, in Los Angeles, California, Portland, Oregon, and now in San Diego, California. Uh, the focus of Volunteers of America is as a faith-based uh, not-for-profit service organization that is focused on inspiring hope uh, and providing the individuals and families that uh, come to our doors with the skills 
to be able to improve their quality of life. Uh, we focus primarily in three areas, the social development of young children, um, assisting adults with addiction and mental health uh, challenges, and uh, caregiver and baby boomer services for, for seniors. Um, it's a pleasure being here. I'm looking forward to it. I bring by way of a business background, uh, an MBA in business administration, an urban planning background, and uh, I haven't had the a bad fortune of going to work in over 33 years because I get to see miracles happen as a result of this great social service work that we do. Wonderful. Well, I am, again, delighted to have both of you on the line. I think you bring a depth and breadth of experience, um, not only in the experience that you bring to the door, but the services that your organizations provide on a day-to-day basis. So um, I'm sure our listening audience will have an opportunity to learn lots from your wisdom and experience. So, again, thank you. I'm going to jump right in. And, Gerald, I'm going to maybe um, ask you to respond to this first question. And also want to welcome you back to Leadership Matters as one of our former hosts. Uh, always delighted to have you on the air. It's my pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> yes. So have you just to think about, you know, how do nonprofits positively impact businesses and the local economy in which they provide services? Well, you know, I think that often not-for-profit organizations are viewed in terms of being social impact contributors to the well-being of local communities. However, I think that is a, a, a bit, though extremely important, a bit short-sighted of the comprehensive contributions that not-for-profits make, both in terms of the, the economic contributions to local communities and the, the public policy contributions uh, to local communities. As an economic contributor, uh, not-for-profit organizations are uh, employers of um, uh, sustained growth um, capability for individuals within their local communities. We're secondary and primary purchasers of goods and services. Uh, and, and we're able to leverage, really, employment opportunities that are paid um, using kind of the multiplier uh, effect concept into secondary employment for local businesses in our community, um, as well as being contributors to really the housing market by providing those we employ with opportunities for home purchasing and rentals, as, as well as secondary purchases of goods and services through uh, the revenue that individuals realize from being employed with not-for-profit organizations. So from the perspective of being an economic contributor in the local communities in which we do business, we have not only a direct impact in terms of adding to uh, the, the local economy, but a secondary impact in terms of being um, purchases of services and spenders of resources that actually come through not-for-profit corporations to build capacity in local communities. Great. Well, thank you, Gerald. Rudy, anything you'd like to add? Well, I, I, first of all, I, that was a wonderful uh, response that Gerald just gave, and it really triggered you know a few thoughts. Number one, um, Obviously, uh, the end user or the end um, uh, receiver or vendor 
of that nonprofit dollar that generally flows from the federal, state, or local levels, because those are our primary funders, or through fundraising, that's how we raise our revenue, never ask, is this a nonprofit dollar or a for-profit dollar? What do I mean by that? When I go shopping at the grocery store and I actually spend money that I earn um, by way of a paycheck from this nonprofit that I'm employed by, no one bothers to ask me what kind of dollar that is. That's number one. Number two, um, I want to say that we buy down the same goods and services that any for-profit in the region buys down in terms of uh, fueling their operation. And we're recycling commerce and revenue through the local economy, and it's bouncing one, one and a half, even up to two, two and a half times throughout the local economy. So um, we're not just a huge uh, economic you know, force, but we're also bouncing what I call new revenue coming from outside the city and state lines into this local economy. Therefore, I think we're a huge part of how the San Diego economy works. Great. Thank you. And, Rudy, I'm going to ask you to share a little bit more about that bounce in a moment, um, just so that it is clear as to what it is you're speaking of when you talk about bouncing once, bouncing twice, mm-hmm. and... Um, in the uh, local economy. Gerald, I'm going to have you start, and then Rudy, I'm going to ask you to just share as well some examples of how your organizations are having a positive impact on the economy. Well, I I think it's important to realize that there are a number of ways in which uh, the the turnaround benefit is realized. Uh, When uh, an organization such as ours is able to take uh, underperforming assets uh, such as uh, a person or or property and then convert those into productive uh, producing assets, uh, that then contribute to the, the local economy, it has uh, a reciprocal benefit to all parties concerned in that local community. When uh, we as an organization are able to um, transform uh, a, a, a English uh, language learner into a productive um, English-speaking individual that has now the capacity to go into the job market and attain higher levels of employment, Um, we we see that as a a direct way in which we as an organization are having a positive impact on uh, the community. We've created really an underperforming asset and converted that into a a higher level uh, performing asset into a community. When we, in fact, uh, work with individuals with addiction uh, and, and mental health challenges and are able to take those individuals from actually consumers of really vital resources in a local uh, economy uh, that are being subsidized, uh, their behavior is being subsidized, and then turn those individuals, as I call, t- have a turnaround benefit where those individuals are able to get clean and sober, employed, and able to, again, become contributing productive members of uh, an economy or society uh, and then purchase goods and services that uh, then become uh, added to 
the local economy. It provides, a, a, again, a positive benefit that our organization is having on the local economy. Uh, I think they could go on with other examples, but individuals with chronic health challenges that basically are consumers of services at, at hospitals, and when we're able to do interventions and stabilization and redirect behaviors that then allow them to not be a drain on the local economy, but then uh, allow them to have an uh, improved quality of life that allows them to then be contributors back to the economy, either through volunteer services or through employment. Uh, it leverages their, their benefit in a, in a very positive manner. Uh, so I, I think there are a number of ways that not-for-profits and ours in particular, along with, with uh, Neighborhood House and others, are, are, are really directly uh, contributing to not only saving uh, economic value uh, and expenses in communities, but then transforming the, the behaviors of those we serve into higher and better use uh, of assets in our local community. Great. Thank you so much, Gerald. And then, Rudy, can I have you to maybe add any other examples you might would like to regarding neighborhood houses' positive impact on the local economy? Well, again, as I'm listening to Gerald, um, you know, obviously I echo um, everything that he said, but I will add a few things. Number one, you know, I see things in kind of tiers. Tier one is a direct benefit. Tier two is an indirect Tier three is an ancillary effect or tertiary effect. Um, and, and I think as I was listening to Gerald, you know, our mission speaks for itself, and that's the ancillary tertiary effect. As we start to drive our mission and heal individuals that we're serving, we have a continuity of care program model that starts from the womb and um, drives these children through Head Start in the charter school, um, brings them back for homework center and summer youth um, job opportunities. And then once they graduate from college, we want to bring them back into our workforce here at the Neighborhood House Association. So that's an ancillary effect, a, a direct so, effect. Rudy, I unfortunately am going to have you put a comma right there because we want to hear the rest of that impact um, story as we come back from break. So we're going to take a short break and be right back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Higher education faces lots of changes. If you are a student, educator, or in the workforce, you'll want to tune into Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. 
Your host, Dave Goldberg, and his guests will explore the innovations that higher education adopts as it reinvents itself. The world of higher education is constantly changing. Stay on top and stay ahead of the rest. Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. And we're back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. Delighted today to have Mr. Rudolph A. Johnson III, President and CEO of Neighborhood House Association in San Diego, California, on the line. Uh, Welcome again, Mr. Johnson. Thank you. Yes, and also Gerald McFadden, President and CEO of Volunteers of America Southwest, also based here in San Diego. Again, uh, welcome and thank you for joining us, Gerald. Thank you so very much. Yes, and today's topic is discussing really the economic business case for funding nonprofits. And before we went to break, I know, uh, Mr. Johnson, you were giving us some examples of the positive impact that Neighborhood House Association has on the economy. I wanted to allow you to just kind of continue. Yeah, thank you. Um, as I was saying, you know, there's direct, indirect, and kind of ancillary effects, and I think I was just wrapping up the ancillary or missionary effects of us doing our mission in these communities that we serve, wherever it is in America, I think that the direct benefit from an economic perspective, number one, is very simple. We hire folks. You know, we, we hire 836 full-time equivalents every single year. So we are a huge uh, employer in the local economy. And I I don't think it really dawns on individuals that if NHA were to go away or close its doors, 836 individuals will be on the unemployment line here in San Diego, and that's huge. And I think, you know, politicians and citizens want to pay attention to that uh, because uh, employment is huge, and we want to ensure that every able person that can go out and you know, get a, a job, is able to go out and secure one. Number two, we buy goods and services through payroll. Payroll is a direct benefit. We have about a $36 million a year payroll, $1.2 million every two weeks. $1.2 million new dollars, and I say new because it's coming from Washington, Sacramento, uh, from, on the majority basis, is flowing into this local economy direct because we're hiring folks from the communities that we serve. Um, we're not going outside of San Diego and employing a workforce that parachutes into San Diego, sucks up all the money, and then takes the money out of San Diego and spends it. We spend it right back in the communities that we're serving. That's a direct benefit. Then we buy down goods, services through contracts or direct purchasing. Uh, to the tune of about $30 million. So when you start to talk about your direct and then indirectly, 
how we're taking that money from payroll and turning around and buying gas, groceries, uh, rent, uh, buying homes, buying cars, then I think you get the attention of the local business community and you come to the table as a partner to solve major issues instead of as a charity that is asking or, or putting your hand out for some kind of contribution that's going into a black hole. So that's the way I frame it. Um, that's my come from. Um, I, I guess it's because of the, the business I come from at the San Diego Convention Center. You had to earn a dollar to spend a dollar. You couldn't spend credit. You couldn't spend anything you didn't earn. And that's been my mentality here at the neighborhood house. So, Rudy, I'm, you know, and I think this probably goes back to the depth and breadth of experience that both you and Gerald brings. And uh, I know that having spent time at the convention center and really trying to make the business case there gives you an added advantage of really helping nonprofits be able to make the business case for the economic impact um, that the organizations have on the local economy. And I know you just spoke to that. Is there anything else you might say to others who might be listening with regards to how they might go about calculating the positive economic impact the organization's having on the economy? Well, um, I, I think, number one, you have to lay, lay your case out uh, just the way I, you know, I visualize it. It's a direct, indirect, and ancillary benefit in your your direct benefit is through payroll, goods and services you, you purchase um, in a given fiscal year, and then any contracts that you're supporting um, as the you know, primary grantee uh, of that particular contract um, because you know, without you, the subs wouldn't be viable, right? And so that's your direct. Your indirect is you know, what are your employee employees doing once they get paid. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that. You know, we're, we're buying basic needs, right? Um, the same thing that anyone else is buying that may work for Cox or uh, San Diego Gas and Electric or any other for-profit organization here in Seattle, attending ball games, going to restaurants. So you're priming the local economy indirectly from those direct benefits that the nonprofit uh, is deriving. And then, you know, your ancillary benefit is all the things that Gerald spoke to. You know, you're changing lives, you're turning them around, you're creating productive members of society that are going to be gainfully employed who themselves are going to get payroll checks and start contributing back into uh, the economy in a positive way and not sucking money out of the economy in a negative way. Mm-hmm. And um, this might be a harder question, but is there a, um, a formula that would kind of, um, or a place that someone might go and look at a formula, or if, are there other organizations that one might look at to really begin to put some numbers through what that bounce effect maybe looks like and that multiplier might look like relative to those dollars being spent in the local account- economy? Well, we use 1.35, and, and you know, um, the reason why we use 1.35 is because it's a conservative bounce number. Uh, we got it from the John Hopkins Institute, and you can go online and really figure out, based on where you are in the marketplace, what type of nonprofit you are, what that multiplying effect ought to be, and it's different for different nonprofit operations. So that's no secret. You know, putting together an economic impact sheet 
is a trademark of the Neighborhood House Association. So if someone calls InnoVisions and speaks with Dr. White, we'd be more than happy to work with that organization and, and help them create an economic impact sheet. Okay, great. Thank you. Gerald, anything you might want to add to um, either impact or calculating thereof? I think what really is important is, uh, along with what uh, what Rudy has said, is that you know I, I think it's understanding really what is it that your um, public sector uh, partner is really considering uh, as value added, and then being able to capture that information as Rudy has said, in a way that's meaningful to them. Uh, I think as as we begin to work with uh, more and more um, entities that are are not traditional, uh, not-for-profit organizations or government funders, such as those relationships that are being created under the Affordable Care Act, it becomes clearer and clearer that um, entities that, you are working with are really looking at what is the, the, the ROI for them? What is the cost-benefit for them being able to, to be in business with you? And I think at the end of the day, uh, it is um, you know, uh, evident that we are definitely turning business lives around and we are creating business opportunities in a secondary fashion, uh, but I think public policy uh, individuals and uh, corporations and foundations that we work with, they want to see the concrete evidence that uh, a dollar invested in, in your organization is resulting in, as Rudy was saying, 1.3 uh, benefit to uh, the economic contribution in that community. And I think we've got to do, uh, as um, organizational leaders, a better job of being able to create the value proposition that exists in uh, our community that shows our, our benefit, our impact. We've got to be able to state that a lot clearer um, to uh, both public policy leaders and funders and we've got to be able to allow them to see that the uh, it's not just a social impact that is occurring, but how we can turn that social impact into an economic benefit through a, a cost-benefit analysis and publish that information uh, more clearly and more frequently so that the message becomes consistent that there is an economic uh, benefit in doing business with a nonprofit corporation. Um, Mm -hmm. We're seeing right now that many local hospitals are realizing that the cost of doing business with certain not-for-profits is definitely a value-added benefit to them. And they are seeking opportunities to be able to save dollars uh, and leverage them in working relationships with not-for-profit corporations. So I think there's some significant ways in which we can create new revenue, but we have to be able to clearly demonstrate that we are cost-effective to uh, leaders and also business partners. Great. Thank you. And, and Rudy, as we, you know, hear what um, Gerald is putting out there and we think about the value proposition or the business case for having greater place and presence, receiving more funding, you know, um, who do you think 
cares most and might one make a business make a business case too in order to really get more place and presence and private or public funding to support nonprofits. Well, as I listen to Gerald speak again, you know, he made some very good points. I think, you know, at the end of the day, you have to you know, every nonprofit is different. They have to identify uh, the market that they're kind of swimming in or playing in or serving in. Um, they have to identify who their potential client base um, is. You know, two things that I want to say right off the top. Number one, um, you know, all programs aren't great programs for the Neighborhood House Association, so I don't, I don't search out money just because it's new on the horizon and go after it. If it's a lost leader for us, we pass, right? Because, mm-hmm. go ahead, sounds like we're mm-hmm. taking a commercial. Yeah, it does, but <clears throat> I want to hear both of those. And so I tell you what, why don't we, when, our, uh, when we come back from break, have you go on and continue to elaborate on number one and then number two. And then we'll talk a little bit more about the leader's role in really increasing understanding of the economic impact and the values that nonprofits bring to communities. So we'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. If you want to learn how to be a better leader, increase your level of business performance, and motivate your team and organization more effectively, listen for Performing at Your Best, Mindset Evolution with Luis Vicente Garcia. Luis Vicente and his guests will share their expertise and enthusiasm in helping you to succeed. It's combining that drive with business skills that will do just that. Tune in live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Shube, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. And we're back with more on Leadership Matters today discussing the economic business case for funding nonprofit organizations. We have Mr. 
Rudolph A. Johnson III, present CEO of the Neighborhood House Association in San Diego, California, and Mr. Gerald McFadden, present CEO of the Volunteers of America Southwest, based here in San Diego. Again, thank you so much for being on the line. And I know before we went to break, uh, Rudy, you had two points you were um, endeavoring to make. I want to just throw it right back over to you to make those points. Yeah, we were we were really just uh, talking about trying to pitch the um, economic positioning, you know, of nonprofits uh, here in in the local economy, San Diego for Gerald and I, and I was just kind of going through some some direct benefits and um, really positioning why I think um, it's a no brainer that. Uh, businesses and the local economy ought to embrace us, and we're really just talking about, you know, what we buy down as consumers, you know, and how we derive that revenue, and I think we really have to focus in on that piece, and I'm sure we'll have a a discussion about that as we talk about what the leader's responsibility um, is, but then, you know, secondarily, I think, you know, the fact that um, nonprofit organizations kind of move around in the space and, and trade commerce, you know, which is another big thing. And me being a member of the uh, San Diego Chamber of Commerce, you know, we're commerce traders. You know, we, we buy bank services, we buy trash services, we buy electric, electricity, we buy water, et cetera. And I think that gives us place and presence at the table with um, these entities that are so-called for-profit entities in the local economy, and we ought to be kind of moving about San Diego as such, and not just, um, I do understand we have to calculate what our value is to potential investors and all of that good stuff, but guess what? We've been here for 102 years in this region. We've been here longer than some of the investors, some of the funders, some of the uh, government entities that have formulated since that time, um, and we're still here. So um, that that's kind of how I see it. And you don't chase every dollar, in my opinion, that's going to create a lost leadership for you. I think you pass on that, move on to the next thing, and you keep your organization solvent and healthy financially until you can get to the next program that makes good business sense. So that was kind of the thought I was trying to make before the break. Okay, great. Well, thank you for making it. We appreciate that. And um, I think uh, both of you are just adding um, wonderful thoughts for consideration. I'm going to ask you to speak a little bit more on the leader's role and really increasing understanding of economic impact. Uh, Gerald, why don't we have you? I know that we've talked a little bit about this. Is there anything else you might add? And then, Rudy, I'll ask you if there's anything you'd like to add on. You know, I I would like to kind of... um tie into to uh, Rudy's point. Uh, I, I think sometimes we don't look at really the scale of not-for-profit uh, sector in a way that allows us to really grasp the tremendous economic um, engine that we are both at the national level, at the regional level, and at the local level. Um, I I think when you begin to unbundle issues like sustained uh, growth in employment and look at the fact that the not-for-profit sector has been 
even in down markets, a continuously growing uh, sector uh, that has continued to employ people, uh, that has continued to, uh, as Rudy was saying, allow uh, for the multiplier effect as a result of these employed individuals doing down market in the purchase of goods and services, uh, it begins to give some scale to, to really the uh, overarching uh, benefit economic benefit that um, the not-for-profit sector has, both nationally, regionally, and and locally. And and I think we as uh, leaders in this sector have to be able to tell this story a little bit more um, effectively and, and in a more compelling manner that begins to, I think, as as Rudy had said early, um, depict us as really a, an equal partner in the growth of local communities uh, as employers and as also individuals that need to set policy, uh, public policy, as it relates to issues that affect um, the, uh, the social development and the economic development, uh, business enterprises within local communities, all of these issues really truly tie back to uh, the economic impact uh, of of the not-for-profit sector and the communities in which these organizations are located in. So I I just wanted to kind of leverage on that point. With regard to the leader's role, uh, I I think that we, we are in need of being a little bit more brash and compelling to be able to um, demand through the presentation of our impact in reports, published reports. And there are reports that are published all throughout this nation that I think we need to amass. A tremendous study by um, the uh, the University of Arizona uh, in in terms of really looking at the – not only the the, the benefit of the not-for-profit sector, but how they have now begun to integrate the not-for-profit sector leaders into policy determinations that affect their local communities, um, whether it's uh, Maricopa County or other counties that that, that really are being, recognizing that the not-for-profit sector is a a partner and is a card-carrying member of the economic community. And so I, I think we just got to be able to frame it a little bit better, claim it a little bit better, and then begin to uh, shout it from the rooftops that really uh, our contributions cannot be denied and that we expect full partnership in decision-making that affects our local communities. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, Gerald. Tara, I see your question, um, and we're going to get to it in just a moment. I want to ask Mr. Johnson, is there anything you wanted to add, though, before we go to our listening audience? Well, I I think, again, you know, Gerald hit the nail right on the head. I think one thing we do have to be careful of is that not, you know, all nonprofits are the same. One size doesn't fit all. I'm thinking of, you know, until recently, the National Football League, if I'm not mistaken, was a nonprofit organization. And, you know, I don't think they're hurting for revenue. So you, re- you really have to, 
you know, as you start to really peel that onion back and look at various studies, you have to make sure you're comparing apples to apples. And, um, you know, that's kind of what I need to do as a leader is always be cognizant of what other agencies such as the Neighborhood House Association, other settlement houses, other social service agencies are doing economically um, out in the space that we're competing in. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, Tyra from Omaha, Nebraska, she has um, emailed us in a question, and it is, what we face here is that nonprofits are often expected to accept grant monies, um, and it says that will cover direct services only which leaves the nonprofit holding the bag for other expenses associated with running the business. How do we as nonprofits that want to serve the community push back to receive full funding? Tyra, thank you so much for your question. Uh, Rudy, uh, would you like to go first? And then we'll turn it over to Gerald, see if he'd like to add anything to Tyra. Yeah, two things. I think, number one, um, as I stated earlier, um, really look at, whatever, you know, program or funding opportunity you're going after. And if it doesn't make good business sense, I know sometimes it's hard and it's contrary to what we believe is nonprofit. Sometimes you have to say no thank you and pass because it will drag down the financial health of the entire organization moving forward. And then secondarily, um, as Gerald said, with the business community, with your donor base, and even with the government sector, you have to build a case for going in and asking for um, cost of living adjustments based on empirical data, your health care premiums, your worker comp premiums, the merit increases you're providing for your employee base, uh, your retirement system goes up. You know, just real quick, as we're looking at um, some of these executive orders that are coming down the tubes, it's not just increasing the minimum you know, salary adjustment on that category. Once you increase that, that base pay, you've automatically, by de- default, increased your annual leave accrual that you have banked. So every $1 may equal $2 that you have to accommodate for that particular employee and you start tying to that by a hundred and that gets into the hundreds of thousands of dollars of adjustment. So, you know, you just have to look at all those things as you're moving through this space and making those decisions. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you. Gerald, anything you'd like to add? You know, I, I, I'll start off with a, a, a statement and, it, and not saying it took it at all, but I think it's important to really realize no margin, no mission. Uh, I think it's important to understand that the not-for-profit corporations are um, businesses that are put in place to be able to provide effective services, uh, social services, and sometimes we can get that turned around. Uh, it is important that we really understand that the, the cost of doing business is extremely important to the quality of life of those individuals that we employ and the, the communities in which we serve. And so sometimes saying no um, after having developed the cost-benefit case of what your services cost is the right thing to do. Um, you know, working 
in, in, in partnership also with other not-for-profit organizations uh, to begin to develop this uh, a business case for the cost of doing business and presenting that as a collective is sometimes the smartest thing that you can do. I know in San Diego on a couple of occasions, we have had procurement departments actually put out um, bid requests at pricing that made absolutely no sense to be able to provide a viable service. And then having worked in, in collaboration with other organizations in that line of business, not bid on the contract okay. uh, and, and, and be unrelenting. And we've had funders come back to the table and renegotiate rates. Yeah, so I mean, really I'm... a collective effort of not-for-profit okay. saying mm-hmm. no margin, no mission. Yeah, no, great. I appreciate that from both um, Rudy and Gerald. I see you echoing the same thing. And Doug from Sacramento and Samuel from Chicago, I have both of your questions, and I think we might have just answered them, but I will ask them on the air when we return. So stay with us. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network leadership matters is brought to you by innovisions need to improve leadership staff or organization performance contact innovisions today for quality effective and affordable leadership staff and organization development training coaching and consulting services call 858-244-8264 that's 858-244-8264 or send an email to dr white her email address is dr white at innovisions.org innovisions is a social enterprise of the neighborhood house association of san diego california funds raised go to support the neighborhood house association's mission developing children families and future leaders of our communities through empowerment education and wellness The leaders of today have certain characteristics that set them apart as success stories. These leaders have discovered transformational leadership. Now, you can discover the same ideas, insights, and programs that have led them to success. Inside Transformational Leadership is produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. We'll explore these success stories every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. And we're back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. Today we're talking about the economic business case for funding nonprofit organizations. Tyra, thank you so much for your question. And Gerald and uh, Rudy, thank you for responding. Doug and Samuel, um, 
love your questions. I think we may have actually responded to them. I'm going to go on in honor um, reading them. And then if there's anything, Rudy, yourself, or Gerald, you'd like to add, uh, please feel free to. Doug from Sacramento, California asks, how do we as nonprofits compete for talent when funding is often limited and straight-lined with no consideration for inflation year after year? And Samuel's question is pretty related, and it's um, Samuel from Chicago. Again, thank you so much for your question. What can be done to influence private or public funders to provide the level of funding needed to truly be competitive in offering quality services in our business lines and sector? Well, so, you, you, mm-hmm. I want to go back to Gerald's comment. You know, we have to be advocates for our own industry. I mean, mm-hmm. um, he gave a perfect analogy of collaborating with uh, prospective bidders on an RFP that um, they brought, you know, the funder back to the table to kind of increase uh, costs because if we don't, you know, become an advocate for what our true costs are, um, the government entities or private funders or foundations will never know what our true costs are. And I think those discussions are starting to be had across the country because I think everyone realized you can't get the same level of service in years two and three of a three-year contract as you do in year one. Just because your costs go up year after year, their costs go up, so why shouldn't yours? So I think that that conversation is really starting. It's in its infant stages, but we have to be advocates. Great. Wonderful. Um, Gerald, anything you'd like to add briefly to um, those comments for Doug and Samuel? I just, uh, just one additional point. I think uh, Rudy is right on point. You know, I, I think if we understand the economic model of the parties we're dealing with, uh, their model is survival, <laughs> uh, meaning a state funder or a uh, county funder or, or, or a federal funder, and they're trying to get as much as they can for as little as they can. And so I, I think... We need to understand that uh, collaborating and working together with one another to um, really hold funders more accountable for the true cost of doing business. And and, and it's like the argument that we we see often, and uh, it's a two-edged sword in terms of cost of living and fair wage. And, you know, individuals who does not want $17, $18 Seventeen, eighteen dollar an hour, uh, you know, wage as a as a minimum or base wage for their employees. But when you have funders coming back and basically saying directly that we're not providing any more money, that means that there has to be some concessions inside of the organization. So I mean, I, I think we have to be advocates to say, you know, let's balance the the equation. You know, if if we have additional costs, let's find ways to effectively, you know, subsidize some of those costs, and uh, we can provide a better overall service uh, delivery to to those that really need uh, the value of those services. The other Mm -hmm. question you raised about really being able to um, afford talent 
in a, a very difficult market uh, for the nonprofit sector. One of the things that is, is extremely important, I think, is that nonprofits are going to have to share talent, I think, across uh, the organization. And, and by that I'm saying, you know, a, a good chief financial officer may have to be, uh, may be able to be shared across two organizations. And finding ways to collaborate to do that to lower your overall operating costs if, in fact, a funder is not providing that, I think is going to be truly key. Uh, also, sometimes hiring up, hiring uh, uh, individuals with greater talent that may have more bandwidth to provide functions than uh, a lesser skilled or, or qualified individual may be a solution as well, where you can get 1.5 of the productivity from a higher paid individual than you might be able to get from two individuals that are being paid at a, a lower rate. So, I mean, I think we're going to have to look creatively about how we leverage resources. And let me hey. just add, let me yeah, just sure. add, can I add to that comment? Absolutely, sure. Thank I think, you, I think sometimes we get um, um, inundated with, with um, you know, the nuts and bolts of uh, retention of talent that we lose sight of um, our inability to hold on to the visionaries and the leaders of the organization. And what do I mean by that? I think we're going to have a big talent drain at the top because, you know, leaders can lead anywhere. They, they choose to come to nonprofits because it may have been, you know, um, a family issue. It could be a personal issue. It could be, you know, an opportunity presented itself at the right time in their life or career. But at any given moment, they can be plucked off by for-profit individuals or institutions as well as governmental entities uh, because if you can, you know, if you can mastermind and navigate a nonprofit, you can definitely mastermind and navigate a for-profit who has unlimited resources. So I, I think you have to retain your talent, absolutely, but I think the board of directors and policy bodies need to focus on retaining their top-level executives um, in this industry as well. Great. Well, thank you both. I, I'm sure that Doug, Samuel, and the rest of our listeners appreciate your responding to those questions. I'm going to ask um, both of you if there are any final thoughts or tips or even references, uh, contact information you'd like to share that could be uh, useful um, to our, our audience. Well, if I could just jump in and just say, you know, I, I think this is just the beginning, Dr. White and uh, Gerald, of a long conversation. Um, I was so excited to be a part of it. Uh, we really stand ready here at the Neighborhood House Association through InnoVisions um, to come out and assist and consult uh, with nonprofits around the country that uh, really are struggling with creating their economic positioning in their local economy. Great. Thank you so much, Mr. Johnson. We appreciate your um, sharing that. And how about yourself, Gerald? Now, I, I, would, I, I would echo uh, Rudy's offer if there is, Volunteers of America is a national organization and there's often a lot of talent inside of our national network. And if there are ways in which we can leverage our resources as a national organization and talent resources to assist others, uh, local uh, not-for-profit corporations, I, I think uh, I would be willing to be, a, you know, an 
advocate for trying to make sure that that uh, resource is available to our larger community. The other thing is I think we have to continue to arm ourselves with, as leaders, with information that allows us to really understand how we can more effectively um, advocate for our own enterprise and um, codify, as Mr. Johnson uh, indicated earlier, the benefit of our business. I would like to just maybe direct uh, individuals to a, a really uh, important uh, study that I came across. It was uh, the um, you know, Arizona uh, really not-for-profit economic power and positive impact report, and uh, it can it can be obtained. Um, you know, easily uh, online, and I think it can provide some real insight into, you know, how do you package Uh yourself and how do you... Right. Sounds like we're going to need to cut offline, but I think they got enough of that to be able to Google it, Gerald. Will they be able to Google that? Uh, they, they, They can, or if they... Um, really uh, a call back to the station, uh, what I would say is you can give them www.aznonprofitimpact.org. Great. Well, thank you so much, um, Gerald, and thank you so much, uh, Rudy. Sounds like I cut you off mid-sentence there, Gerald. Did you have a final thought? No, no, I just want to say whatever benefit that, you know, I might be able to play with Volunteers of America, we we would be willing to to look at being a resource. Great. We thank you so much. And, Gerald, again, it's been great having you back on the air. Uh, miss you as thank host. Thank you. And, yeah. And, uh, Rudy, again, thank you so much. And thank you to our listening audience. Please join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders inspiring solutions. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter. Leadership Matters.